already. So that's the one thing everyone forgets is to hit that mute button. So God bless Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning, Greenbelt. Both. Wow, that was awesome. Both here in person and also online. Really glad that you're here with us today. And I'm really blessed to be here in this capacity. And uh, when Kevin had asked me uh, several weeks back if I could preach on this Sunday, because he was actually off this week, I, I accepted with gratefulness. And uh, the only thing that means, though, is that for Kevin, on his off week, he had to come to church. <laughs> he always goes to church, but sometimes he takes his holiday time to go and check out other places and see what people are doing down the road. So thanks for being here this morning in your husband hat. And then I see they put you to work in announcements too. So that's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let me ask you a question before we begin. What's your default when crisis hits? So when something really bad happens, maybe the car breaks down or uh, you lose your job or you go through a really big um, health crisis or emotional crisis, something major happens. What's your default? Do you swear? What, what's... <laughs> okay, we have a swearer. The swearers are over here. Do we have any criers? Let's see. Okay, we got the criers in this side. Or do you jump into fix-it mode? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, some of us do that. Well, there's a number of things we can do, right? There's a lot that we can withdraw from the situation, just put on Netflix and never turn it off. Whatever the thing is, there's a lot of things that we do to cope when something hits us and it hits us big. Or do you stop, drop, and pray? There you go. We, we have one. One stop, drop, and prayer. Excellent. So for the rest of us, our emotional well-being might just hinge on how we answer that question. I know um, some of you, I just said the word emotion. Some of you, your shoulders went up. Are we going to talk about our emotions here today? Uh, did she just say we're going to talk about, I, I'm tapping out. Any of you that emotions are not your thing, don't really want to go there? But I ask you, I'll, I'll ask you to stay with me. Don't worry, because we are going to delve into the Bible and see what the Bible has to say on this topic. So if you have your Bible with you here today, why don't you open it up? We're going to open it up to Psalm 46. I feel like we were like it, in worship, like I could not have picked better songs to just marry with this message that I have for you today. And so to Paul and the worship team, they did an amazing job, didn't they? And so let's just continue with that. Um, whatever the Lord maybe has started in your heart this morning through worship, we're going to continue in that vein. <clears throat> so I want to camp out in Psalm 46. And we're going to go deeper than usual into a very famous verse. Um, one that we've all heard. It's one that we often cling to. But today we're going to start to teach our emotions to yield to the teachings of this psalm, this very famous passage. So like Kevin said, we're currently going through this series called Holiness, of course, a play on words. Um, and we, we want to look at holy. Yes, we want to be holy. Like God is holy, he wants us to also be holy. In fact, um, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.15, just as he who called you, talking about Jesus, is holy, so be holy in all you do. So I could just close the book and be like, see ya, be holy. That's all you got to do. Have a great day. 
but I think we'll go in a little bit deeper. <clears throat> so being holy or being whole is the, the idea of it is it's not just about a Sunday morning posture. It's about everything. It's about all that we do. It's about every part of our life. And what does being holy mean? It means being set apart for honorable use and fruitfulness. And so becoming holy or being whole is a journey. And today I want to talk about the sensitive topic of our emotions. So can you think of a time like three, three years ago, almost to the date, maybe three years and a couple of months, and what happened in your life a little over three years ago. Remember when everything shut down? <laughs> everything stopped. All the busyness that was part of our normal everyday doing for the Lord. We become so accustomed to being human doings, and we can easily forget that we're human beings. Others of us got over the initial shock of that shutdown pretty quick, and we nestled into the quiet, calmness, uh, restoring our souls. I'm not even sure if I can say that. Can I say that, that some of us actually relished in the quiet and calm? Not even sure I can say that now, three years later. Um, but some of us, that was the case. But now fast forward, three years later, and the rat race that we were in pre-COVID is back, and then some, right? And so... Things seem to have sped up some more, getting the kids off to daycare, racing, you know, with pressures and deadlines, heading back to work, you know, stress, mental health, maybe anxiety, maybe depression or fatigue, any number of things constantly running. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our society is busier than ever, and we wear so many hats and there's so many expectations on us. We're so in need of the power of God and his personal touch in our lives. How do we get through our busy days and our daily struggles that we face without being firmly planted in a relationship with our Heavenly Father? We'll look at how we can deepen that relationship today. We're going to look back at a very famous, probably very familiar verse to all of us, but I think you might be surprised at where this verse actually finds itself, the context that it's in, in the psalm where, uh, where we find it. So this morning, I'm going to share with you some of the journey that God has had me on while we examine specifically verse 10 of Psalm 46 and see what God wants us to learn. So for a little bit of context, for starters, Psalm 46 is considered a psalm of trust. How's your trust? In others? In the Lord? Charles Spurgeon coined it a song of holy confidence. Commentator Matthew Henry put it this way. The psalm encourages us to hope and trust in God and his power and providence and gracious presence with his church in the worst of times. And directs us to give him the glory of what he has done for us and what he will do. With that, let's jump into Psalm 46 and see what God wants to show us. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought to the brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen is right. And the big idea for this morning's message is this. Being emotionally whole means stopping everything to fortify my trust in the Holy One. Let me repeat that. Just let it sink in. Being emotionally whole means stopping everything to fortify my trust in the Holy One. So many nuggets in this psalm. God is our refuge and strength. Where does your strength come from? We will not fear. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I have feared. But the psalm says we will not fear. Why? Because darkness hits. (laughs) And the Lord will come. (laughs) Let there be light. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you for that. So we will not fear even when darkness hits. Why? Because God is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Notice it doesn't say you won't have trouble. He's always there to provide help. He's our refuge and our strength. Says in verse 2, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Has anyone been there before? Maybe you're there today. We all have been there at some point in our lives. Nobody is without trouble in their lives. When the earth is just giving way and we're so in need of the Lord so desperately. What do you do when life gets so desperate? I recently watched the final episode of season three of The Chosen. Now, don't worry. No spoiler alert here. You know the story I'm telling you. Even if you've never been to church, you've heard of this one. It's the depiction of Jesus walking on the water and then calling Simon Peter out of the boat. All the while, Simon keeps his eyes focused on Jesus. He keeps his eyes there. He walks. But the moment he takes his eyes off of Jesus... Down he goes. And this is a good reminder for all of us. Therefore, we will not fear. 
though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Where are your eyes fixed in times of trouble, in times of desperate need? This is what the first part of Psalm 46 is all about. It's recognizing our desperate need for the Father to rescue us in times of trouble. Jesus says in John 16:33, "In this world you will have trouble." <laughs> Spoiler alert right there. You will have trouble. Jesus said it. But take heart. I have overcome the world, he says to us. That's a promise that we can claim. Jesus has overcome the world. Do you believe it? That's what scripture says, and we can praise him for that. Now, in the context of the psalm that we read, it's in the, it's, there's war. It's one of war. And God bringing that war to an end. It speaks to the people of God having a radical trust in him that's completely beyond that of our human understanding. It's not easy to trust. We've all had our own experiences when it comes to trust. It's not always easy. But yet it's that radical trust in him that's completely beyond that of our human understanding. It speaks of our refuge and our strength coming only from God Almighty. He's described as our ever-present help. Somehow, incredibly, the psalmist declares his confident trust in the Lord, and through it all, he has no fear. Think for a minute about your life. What mountains in your life are, as we speak, falling into the heart of the sea? When we cry out to God, we can bring our troubles to him. When we cry out, Abba, Father, help me, rescue me. And we have a good, good Father who's right there. He'll hold us. We have a Father we can sit with who truly understands what we're going through. He won't necessarily take away our troubles, but he will be our refuge. He will be our strength. We're promised troubles, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Further in our psalm, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Nations are in uproar. Sound familiar? The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. Do you stop? Stop everything to perceive what God has done. Do you look around and see all the awful stuff? And what the enemy has his hand on, all the war and famine, or do you look to God? Come and see what the Lord has done. The psalm continues in verse 9 about our Father God. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. When we turn to God with the wars of our lives... He will make those wars cease too. Remember our big idea. Being whole means stopping everything to fortify my trust in the Holy One. He will do it. He simply wants us to learn the rhythm of stop, drop, and pray. 
Then comes the also familiar verse as we carry on in our psalm. Verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The greeting card version of this verse usually focuses only on the first half. Be still and know that I'm God. And it's often confused when we take it out of context. We tend to think that be still means just rest in the Lord. We get a calm and peaceful feeling when we recite it. Be still and know that I'm God. It's so nice and calming. It just puts us at ease and we're instantly in our happy place. However, in the context of this psalm, be still actually means cease. Don't forget, our peaceful, warm verse finds itself right in the middle of war. In a commentary on the book of Psalms, it says this in regards to verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. The voice of the triumphant warrior God breaks into the scene in the first person, challenging foe and faithful alike. God's demand, cease, desist, or perhaps its military counterpart, attention, calls all combatants to stop their fighting and pay attention. Only when they stop their struggles can they acknowledge that Yahweh is God. Yahweh proclaims his exalted status. I will be exalted before all present, before the nations and the earth. The Hebrew word for be still is actually rapha, and it means enough. Imagine we sit there and go, be still and know that I am God. And it's so beautiful and we carry on with our day. But really, in this psalm, it says, enough. When you're up early, getting the kids off to school, going to work, walking out the door, fixing dinner, helping the kids with their homework, running them to football practice, coming home, folding laundry, making the kids have their showers, answering all their questions, finally falling into bed, God says to you, stop. Easier said than done for some of us. So be still doesn't mean contemplate or wait on the Lord. It simply means stop doing what you're doing. It's actually God's battle cry for our attention. He's the general who says to us, cease. As we camp out in verse 10, I want you to listen for what the Holy Spirit would prompt you in. How do you need to be still? What's your next step for knowing God more and more? And where do you need to exalt him? Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Remember, being emotionally whole means stopping everything to fortify my trust in the Holy One. I can remember a time a few years ago when I was... uh, When a verse was put on my heart, I was so grateful for this verse. And it's from Zephaniah 3.17. It says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. This was a time when I couldn't stop on my own. But God quieted me with his love. Another verse that I'm often reminded of is Psalm 23, 2. He makes me 
lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. God does this. He actually makes us stop. Come to him. Turn our attention to him. In a strange way, there's actually something so comforting for me in that. There are times when I just can't stop. I get so wrapped up in my struggles, but he quiets me with his love. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. God knows exactly what I need, and he demands us to stop. But he does so in his love. We see here in scripture that we actually have a choice. You and I need to choose. Are you going to lie down willingly? Or is God going to make you lie down in green pastures? What needs to be adjusted in your life to bring your will in alignment to his will? In order to stop and give God your full attention. Is it making time for him every day? Or perhaps leaning into him a little bit more? Building in that trust? Or maybe it's obedience. Maybe you've heard already what he wants from you. And you're like, I don't want to do that, God. Don't make me do that. So it might be obedience. What small shift is, is there in your life that you can make right here and now in your relationship with the Father? As I was preparing for this message and meditating on Psalm 4610, I had this picture And it's of God the Father kind of hunched over like a parent, holding my chin, cradling my chin. And I thought of, you know, those of you that are parents, I mean, my, my Cameron is 22 now. I don't know if I'd hold him by the chin, but I sure did when he was a little guy. And I was like, look at mommy. Show me your eyes. Look here. And this is the image that God gave me as a father, just gently, lovingly hunched over with his hand cradling my chin so that I could look up into his eyes and and have that full attention on him. I don't know how many times I said to my son, look at mommy's eyes. And I wonder how many times is God saying, look at my eyes, pay attention. I want your full and undivided attention. How good are you at being still? And I don't mean that cozy hallmark still. I mean stopping everything, dropping everything, and giving your undivided attention to God. I don't think it's just young kids who struggle with this. I think we all have some kind of struggle with this one. In my experience, I've gone both routes. I've gone the route of God making me lie down and my submitting willingly. And I have to say, I much prefer the latter. There was a time in my life when God was really trying to get my attention for some time. My health was ailing, fatigue, infection after infection, muscle weakness, and chronic pain. I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off, just trying to keep on top of everything. And came to a point where my body was ailing so badly, I couldn't even pick up the vacuum. And so when I was that sick, God said to me, be still, cease, pay attention. 
took me a while. I didn't hear it right away. I had some sort of expectation on myself that God himself had never laid on me. So during that season, he quieted me with his love. He made me lie down in green pastures, and he led me beside quiet waters. He's so good. He knew what I need needed, and that's exactly what he did. And through that journey, and then ongoing and ongoing and learning and going backwards and so on and so forth, as some of you may understand, he's, he's been teaching me how to willingly be still. He's taught me rhythms of life that are so necessary to regularly stop, regularly stop everything and to come to see what the Lord is doing. Meditating on his word regularly, just spending time with God instead of always just doing for God. I've learned uh, to enter into Sabbath keeping, taking one day of the week to set apart for the Lord. I've learned to stop, be still, pay attention, get off your phone. You're not that important. That's for me. Instead, know that I am God. I've got you. God says in a triumphant and strong voice, be still and know that I am God. For some reason, it's important to God that we know him. When we don't spend time actively getting to know God, we can either turn inward or we can turn outward. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. Inward thinking, I don't need you, God. I got this. We don't say those words, but our actions sometimes imply them. Or outward, turning to whatever vice that might be out there to sort of cope and get through the day. Some of us turn to food or drink or spending. Some of us turn to fantasy life or inappropriate relationships. Some of us look to our own views and opinions and make it our own truth. I've struggled at times looking to people before God. Several years ago, Kevin was pastoring a very small church, um, and we were both involved in every area of the ministry, and we knew all sorts of things about everybody in the church, and, and we were involved at every level. It was a lot. Granted, it was only 30 people in the church, but it was, we, we were really, really involved, and I just wanted to be a good pastor's wife. I wanted to show people how much I loved God and God loved them and, you know, represent God well. And what ended up happening was that I was actually becoming God for the people. And God actually said to me, this is the one time in my life that I've heard in an audible voice from God, actually hearing him in an audible way. I've heard him a lot in my heart, in my spirit. But this was an audible voice where God said to me, who do you worship? Me or these people? My heart sank into the pit of my stomach. When I stopped to think about it, I would never say that I worshipped people, that I worshipped our congregation. That was not at all my, my desire But yet my actions, I was spending all my time with this person, with that person, helping them, showing them, building them up. But what about me with my father? I was forsaking time with my father to be there 
for the people. And I'm not saying being there for people is wrong, but it has to come from that place of where I'm filled with him. So I wasn't really spending that much time with God. I was using people as the measuring stick for my life, and I wasn't using the word as that measuring stick. God basically said to me that day, be still and know that I am God. When we're spending time getting to know God, he directs us. He guides us. He'll keep us on his path. So when we're searching to fill that void, we can turn outward. We can turn inward or we can turn upward, vertical, knowing God more deeply. But how? There's various ways in which we can know something, right? Usually it's associated with learning. Somebody teaches us something and then we learn it. But in order to actually be taught something, we need to accept that teaching as well. It's kind of like, um, similarly, having been taught about a right relationship with God through Jesus does not make me know God. Just having been taught about God, I might say, I know of God but I don't know him. However, if the teaching is followed by acceptance and repentance, then I can truly say that I'm beginning to know God through relationship with Jesus. Notice I said beginning to know God. It's not one and done, right? Salvation is, but that relationship is ongoing, right? I began to know God when I accepted Christ, and I hope that continues as a journey all the way through my life. And I want to get get to know God better and better throughout this journey. But how do we get to know anyone better? It's by spending time together. We talk to one another, and we share experiences together. To go back to um, how we learn things in the analogy I just shared, our school system has moved from rote desks, you know, like lined up desks, to a different model, an experiential learning style. And so we get to know something much more deeply when we experience it. And I believe that God wants us to experience him to deepen our knowledge of him. And know in Hebrew, actually translates to yada. Anybody remember, you'd probably be about my age or older, remember an episode of Seinfeld where they used the term yada, yada, yada when something was just a little too intimate to talk about. Like maybe Johnny and Sally were out in the car till midnight, yada, yada, yada. And so it just gives us an idea, if you remember that episode, of a wider meaning of yada. It actually has an intimate um, kind of feel to it. So when we say no, it's knowing intimately. To know God means to perceive, to understand, to believe, to conform, to perform or live, to see or experience, to learn, to recognize, to accept his claims to be willing, and to obey. These words that come out of the Hebrew word yada all hold important keys to getting to know God the way he wants us to know him. In this verse, yada holds its meaning in an intimate knowledge, knowing that comes from relationship and experience. 
In fact, it's the very word we find in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis where it says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Now, this is the yada, yada, yada kind of no. It speaks of experience and of intimacy. Adam knew Eve in an intimate way, and God wants us to know him intimately too. Now, if you have a 10-year-old boy humor like I do, then you might want to get your mind out of the gutter because I'm not saying that there's anything sexual about a relationship with God, right? It's just having an understanding of that intimate relationship, and that is the thing that God is looking for from us, and I believe that we all long for with him. So how about you? What's your next step in knowing God? Do you know God? Have you heard about God and how you can have a right relationship with God through Jesus? According to the Bible, we've all been separated from God since the very first people in the Bible and when they chose to disobey. From that time on, we have been incapable to follow and obey God fully and all of his commands. And we're born unable to follow all of his laws. And that causes us to be separated from him. Now, I know for some of us, it's an uncomfortable thought to think that we're separated or can be separated from God. Why would God allow that? The Bible tells us it's because of sin. And... Um, If you really think about it, you and I cannot do everything perfectly according to God's law. We just can't do it. So we all fall into that category of sin. But thankfully, God had a plan to bridge us back to himself. And all we have to do is believe that we have done wrong and believe that Jesus is the son of God. And Jesus will rescue us when we call upon him. So have you accepted that teaching and accepted Jesus as your savior? Great. If you haven't, um, in a few minutes, we'll have a moment to pray. And if you'd like to pray that prayer along with me, I'd be happy to walk with you through that. For those of you, though, that have accepted that amazing gift of God, have you experienced God? Now, I know many of you are tempted to say, "Mm, I don't really hear from God. I don't really experience God. I've heard many, many Christians say, I've never really heard from God. If that's the way you feel, today I want to challenge your thinking on that. If you have a Bible and if you've read it, you have heard from God. And um, that's just one of the many ways that God speaks. But certainly... In scripture, we can hear from God every time we open the word of God. So here's what Rick Warren says in the foreword of 40 Days in the Word. God's word is unlike any other book. It is alive. When God speaks, your life will be transformed. But that can only happen by making the Bible the authoritative standard for your life. The compass you rely on for direction the counsel you listen to for making wise decisions, and the benchmark you use for evaluating everything. The Bible must always have the first and last word in your life. The Bible has power. The Bible has authority. And the Bible speaks to us. 
if we're willing to listen. God will speak to us every day through his word. My life verse that goes back many, many, many years before we went into ministry was Joshua 1, verses 7 to 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. If meditating on God's word is not a regular practice in your life, I suggest you give it a try in your prayer time with the Lord. Especially if you're someone who would say, God doesn't speak to me. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Are you weary? You don't even need to read pages and pages in order for God to speak to you. You can simply open your Bible, read a verse, and chew on it. Chew on it. Don't just do the checkbox. Take, like, bring it with you throughout your day. Read it and chew on it and let God speak to you. Whenever I'm in the habit of meditating on scripture, whenever I show up, God is always there. And it's such a refreshing way to continue getting to know God more intimately. I guarantee that if you do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth, God will speak to you. Psalm 46.10 ends with God saying, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is a clear promise. God will be exalted. When we're struggling with the battles in our lives in this world, we might think that they're ours to fight. But we forget that it's God's battle. And he will be exalted. The definition of exalted is this, placed at a high or powerful level, held in high regard. God will already be exalted. He said so. He is. It's in scripture. God will be exalted. But how can you come alongside him in participating in exalting the Lord? Where have you not taken time to notice what the Lord has done in your life? What situations do you need to bring him praise for? What wars has he made cease? So often when we're going through a war right now, we have to remember the old war and the war before that and the other battle and go, yeah, that's who my God is. He has made wars cease. Where will you acknowledge him more today? Exalt him. He will be exalted. So in the midst of our battle, God wants us to be still, cease, stop what you're doing, pay attention. He wants us to draw his attention to him because he wants us to come to know him more and more so that he can be our refuge. If you don't trust somebody, you're not going to go to them as refuge. So it's that building up of that relationship so that he can be your refuge. And not just know of him, he wants us to know him intimately, as deeply as Adam knew Eve, and then some. Once we've heard the good news about Jesus, we need to accept that teaching and accept him as our Lord and Savior. And then we're invited to experience him. The psalm ends with verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Let's remember to take time every day to stop and turn our attention toward God, to get to know him more and more intimately 
because he's our fortress. We can be emotionally whole, but we must stop everything to fortify our trust in, in him, the Holy One. How will having a greater understanding of this psalm, Psalm 46, make you more emotionally whole? First thing, know you're in a battle. Might be a smaller one. Might be you just got out of one. Might be you're just going into one. Might be a huge one. But you're in the midst of a battle. We can be emotionally whole when we understand that we can't get ourselves out of this on our own. And there's nothing in the world that can help us in our time of trouble. You need to be deeply rooted in your relationship with God so that when the time comes, we know to stop, drop, and pray because our trust is deeply rooted in the one, only one who can save us. Because God's always there to rescue us, let us not be afraid when the storms come and the earth falls from beneath us. Come and see what the Lord has done. And may we cease from the busyness of this life and exalt him here on earth. Let us remember that the Lord God Almighty is with us. Let's pray. Let's all close our eyes. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior and God has stirred you this morning, maybe you've thought about this before or maybe it's your first time hearing about salvation through Christ. Either way, don't ignore that prompting of God. Would you just raise your hand or click the button online to say that you want to accept Jesus today? And as you do that, as you do that, pray in your heart along with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for those that are making a decision right now to accept you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we admit that we have done wrong in our lives, that we have taken the reins ourselves. God, please forgive us. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has paid the price for all of our mistakes. We choose today to accept the gift of salvation and to make you the Lord of our lives. Thank you for this free gift. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have shown us the way to the Father. I pray for every soul that is here today. I pray that you would meet each of us in a powerful way this day and as we leave from this place this morning and throughout our week. Help us to be still in our busyness, to stop and turn to you in the midst of the wars going on around us. And help us to know that you are God. We want to know you more and more intimately. Thank you that you are always there and that you will be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.